I, uh, I meant to be up here. And then this cord got caught on that bench back there and everything went horribly awry. So if you have your Bibles, you could open up to Lament. Whoa, that is, that is abrasive. Yeah, right? You're trying to give me a tan up here. Um, you could open up to Lamentations chapter 2. We're going to be continuing in the series that Sam began last Sunday. If you don't have a Bible, you can pop up your pause. Someone will swing by and drop one in there for you. All right, so how's everyone doing? All right, doing good? Yeah? You get your paws up? Yeah? Adorable with those paws. I'm super. All right. What? Oh, yeah, I'm getting tons of sleep. I, I have an amazing ability to sleep through everything. So, yeah, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting more sleep than I should get. And, and yeah, and Corinne, Corinne's not getting any sleep. She's just awake constantly. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, so, because I'm, I'm just a bad person when it, when it comes to that. So, but I can't help it. I'm a deep sleeper. What do you want from me? All right, Lamentations chapter 2. We're going to be continuing in that series. Let me open up to the right passage myself. Uh, last Sunday, Sam uh, began this series in Lamentations called A Good Cry, right? And, uh, and we began our high school ministry again last Sunday after taking like two months off. And we were walking out the door. And I kind of flippantly said to all the high schoolers as we, as we left, I'm like, yeah, see, I saved you from listening to a message about crying. And, uh, and here we all are. And now I'm the one giving it. So <laughs> God's got a sense of humor. So, uh, but that's what this book is all about. Penned by Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, crying out to God for his people that had uh, rejected him, right? spurned his revelation, and uh, they, they would not hear him and accept, uh, accepted a lie in place of his truth. And, 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 and it's because that, that lie is it's comfortable, right? it's cozy, it's easy to accept uh, a, a lie. You tell someone what, what, they, what they want to hear. Um, you know, and, and, and we love it. It tickles our ears. It, it delights our heart, fills us with glee, right? You know, and, and uh, I work with kids and, and this just popped into my head and, and I was working with this kid the other day and he leans across the table and he goes, why are you so fat? And it's like, Hey, that's, that's a terrible thing to say to a person. <laughs> but, uh, but that's what this book is all about, right? It's all about confronting us with truth, right? And, and we don't like that, right? We, we like everyone to lean across the table and go, why are you so good looking, right? But that's, sometimes that's not the truth. Sometimes it needs to be said so that we can hear it. We can go, oh my, something needs to be done. Right, and then we can get out there and we can do it. Right, we can take care of what is what is necessary. So the point of this book isn't to make us happy. Right, it isn't to 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 make us perky. This isn't a book, you know, for a pep rally. This is a book to confront us with harsh reality. And sometimes the harsh reality is that we are a mess. Right, and we have sin in our lives, and that sin needs to be addressed. You can't just turn a blind eye to it. You can't just ignore it and pretend like it's not there. It is necessary. So this type of thing is is never fun, right? And but it, but 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 it's essential. 
right? And and that's why we're studying it. Uh, and and Sam talked about last week, Second Corinthians seven twenty two, and uh, it's this this wonderful wonderful verse. Where Paul writing, he says, "Godly sorrow brings repentance. It leads to salvation and leaves no regret." Right? The good thing about this kind of godly sorrow, the good thing about being confronted with truth regarding sin and wickedness in our lives that we're hiding and harboring, that we're dismissing and pretending as if it's not there, is that it gives us the opportunity right, to live a life without regret because those things are addressed right, and they're dismissed, they're taken care of, and they're covered, and, and, and we can do what what this book is all about and what Sam introduced last week. We can see these things. We could be surrounded by the volume of them and weep over them and repent to God. And the result will be salvation and life. Uh, this, this beautiful, redeemed life, right, that comes through addressing these difficult matters. So, so that's what we're going to do today. Right, we're gonna sit down. We're gonna take a good, long, hard look at each other, and 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 we're gonna say, "I'm fat," right? And something, something needs to be done, right? Because it's not right to just dismiss it and ignore it. Nothing comes of it. it, it but 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 here's the thing: when when we address it, then light floods in, and and and, and you can see clearly. Right, you can walk uprightly, and God can receive great glory. So it's good, right? It's it's a good thing. This is a good cry. Uh, so that's uh, let's let's do it. So <laughs> I, I have uh, you know before we we read this, let me let me remind you again. I have no pleasure, right, in in doing something like this and addressing something heavy like this. Last time I did, I was playfully called Eeyore after that message. And it was probably appropriate because this is that kind of, you know, down type of stuff. But uh, nonetheless, important. So we're going to do what Sam did last Sunday. We're going to read the entire chapter and then I'm going to go through it and pick out bits and pieces and connect them thematically to pull out the essential truth of this chapter. It's a long one. It's a dark one. So uh, hang in there with me. So Lamentations 2, verse 1. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with the cloud of his anger. He has hurled down the splendor of Israel from earth to heaven. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has torn down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought her kingdom and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. In fierce anger, he has cut off every horn of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand at the approach of the enemy. He has burned in Jacob like a flaming fire that consumes everything around it. Like an enemy, he has strung his bow. His right hand is ready like a foe. He has slain all who were pleasing to his eye. He has poured out his wrath like fire. On the tent of the daughter of Zion, the Lord is like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all of her palaces and destroyed her strongholds. He has multiplied mourning and lamentation for the daughters of Judah. He has laid waste his dwelling like a garden. 
He has destroyed his place of meeting. The Lord has made Zion forget her appointed feasts and her Sabbaths. In his fierce anger, he has spurned both kings and priests. The Lord has rejected his altar and abandoned his sanctuary. He has handed over to the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have raised a shout in the house of the Lord as on the day of an appointed feast. And the Lord determined to tear down the wall around the daughter of Zion. He stretched out a measuring line and did not withhold his hand from destroying. He made ramparts and walls lament. Together they wasted away. Her gates have sunk into the ground. Their bars he has broken and destroyed. Her king and her princes are exiled among the nations. The law is no more. Her prophets no longer find vision from the Lord. The elders, daughters of Zion, sit on the ground in silence. They have sprinkled dust on their heads put on sackcloth, and the young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine as they faint like wounded men in the streets of the city as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms? What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what can I liken you that I may comfort you, O daughter, O virgin daughter of Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The oracles they gave you were false and misleading. All who pass your way clap their hands at you. They scoff and shake their heads at the daughters of Jerusalem. In this, the city that was called uh, yeah, the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth, all your enemies open their mouths wide against you. They scoff and gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. This is the day we have waited for and have lived to see it. The Lord has done what he planned He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. He has overthrown you without pity. He has let the enemy gloat over you. He has exalted the horn of your foes. The hearts of the people cry out to the Lord. O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and consider whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priests and prophets be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Young and old lie together in the dust of the streets. By young men and maidens have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered them without pity. As you summoned to a feast day, so you summoned against me tares on every side. In the day of the Lord's anger, no one escaped or survived. Those I cared for and reared, my enemy has destroyed. Let's go ahead and pray before we discuss this text. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I ask God that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, move in our midst. I pray, God, that you would set before us the reality of our own sin and the consequences of it. Lord, this isn't anything to dismiss. This isn't something to shy away from. In doing so, if we were to do so, we would miss so much that you have for us. 
Lord, I thank you for addressing the uncomfortable, for presenting to us the harsh reality of our sinful state. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts, Lord, that this message would be for us this morning, individually, personally, specifically. Lord, that everyone and everything would fade away, fade away, and it would just be it would just be us before you, listening to you, Lord, learning from you. And Lord, for that, I, I praise you. I ask, Lord, that you would do all of this in your precious name. Amen. 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 Okay, so the first great truth is communicated in these first verses, and it's simply this, that our splendor is not our own. Right? It's stated very clearly in verse 1, and it sets the tone for everything else. It says, he has hurled down the splendor of Israel from heaven to earth. What is splendor? Right? It's not a word that we use very much anymore. It's not something that you would I don't know, go to a party and you'd come back, and when someone would ask you for your assessment of the situation, you'd say, oh my, the splendor of it all. Right? You would never say that. People would think that something was amuck with you. You were, you were quite odd. Right? So, uh, but but that, is, that is the word in Hebrew. It's this word uh, tefara, right? And it comes from this root meaning to adorn something, to beautifully decorate it. And when I think of that, I think of, uh, of Christmas. I think of Christmas trees, right? Beautifully decorated. That's what splendor means in the context of this passage. And every year, Corinne, uh, to decorate our trees, she picks a theme, right? And I didn't even know that Christmas trees had themes, right? But, but uh, you know, I thought you just threw some lights up there and some ornaments and, you know, uh, you know boom, you're done. Let's go uh, eat some candy canes, drink some eggnog. Mission accomplished. But no, you know, with, with Boo, it's like we had a gold year, and everything was like gold themed. It was it was very, it was it was decadent, right? If decorations could be decadent, it was it was it was like going into Herod's palace, you know, in our house. Um, but you know, so we had a gold year, and then we we had a silver year. It was like it was like a lean year, right? We went down from gold to silver, and we had a fruit year. Remember the fruit year? Was that last year? Is last year the fruit year? Two years ago. I don't know what last year was. So we had a fruit year, and it was like apples and pears, and they were all sparkly, and they were put on the tree, and and uh, I mean they were fake. It's not like we're we're putting sequin, you know, encrusted fruit on our tree. It's just like sitting there rotting. That'd be disgusting. But you know, it's it's just beautifully uh, adorned. You know, the splendor of this decoration, everything strategically put in place and perfect in its organization. And I tried to help out the first two years that we were married. And, and, you know, she would put some ornaments in front of me and I would start to put them on the tree. And then I noticed that every ornament that I put on the tree, I'd look back and it'd be gone. Right. And, and she either took the ornament off the tree or she moved it around behind the tree. But eventually, I guess she just had enough. And she last year, she got me my own tiny, pathetic tree. And she put it by my couch in the back den. And she goes, here, you know, you decorate this and make it look disgusting. You know, just, <laughs> just do you whatever you want with that little abomination tree. And don't touch my beautiful, you know, well-ordained, perfect tree. And, 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 you know, and that's, that's, that's what I did. And, and she made her tree just the object of her splendor, right? Just 
ordained and ornate and, and beautifully perfect. Mine, I just threw some tinsel at it and I called it a day. Right? But, but hers, no, there's so much care and consideration that went into it. And it would be as if you know, she, she had finished that tree and finished that room. And it was the gold year, maybe. It was the silver year, possibly. It was the, the fruit year, probably. And I just walked in there and I grabbed the tree by both my hands and I shook it vigorously. And all the decorations flew off of it and I grabbed the lights and I tore it off and threw it on the ground and I slapped everything off the mantle and I stomped it underfoot. And, and that's, that's your splendor. And it's on the ground and it's cast asunder and, and, and your branches are bare and everything that you had just perfectly positioned has been cast from heaven to earth. And, and, but an odd thing happens on earth, right? Because this is, this is what we do on earth. We live uh, in a world that loves delusions, Right, and, and on earth, we become exceedingly delusional, right? And, and we, we have this capacity to accept this alternative reality. And the reality is that the splendor is gone, right? I've gone in there, I've shaken the tree, and I've slapped off the mantle and cleared the way. And, and, and the special anointing, that, that unique gifting, all those things from heaven, they're gone, They've gone from heaven and cast down to earth. That thing that only comes from him, that thing that cannot be found anywhere else but in him and through him, it's gone. That's the reality. But this is the delusion, right? The the delusion would be uh, continued in the illustration. If she came home and she were to walk through those doors and see everything that I had done to her beautifully decorated Christmas tree and the splendor of it all, and then she took a look at it and said, oh, isn't it fine? Oh, it's just perfect and beautiful. Oh, so so much splendor in that and, and, and just so ornate and just perfect and precious. And I'd say, but, but, but boo, it's not. And she would say, no, my friends have come over. No, and they say that it's fine. No, and, and, and others come by and they look at it and they all, they all think that it's fine too. And everything is fine and every, it's, all just, it's all just perfectly fine. And, and this is the state of Israel in verse 14. You could take another look at the verse. Right? In verse 14 it says, the visions of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. The prophecies they gave you were false and misleading, right? And this is, the, 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 this is what we do, right? You can see it. They can see it. But nobody wants to address it. Nobody wants to address the painful reality that the splendor is gone. And we live in this delusion that everything is fine, Right, so so instead of closing the doors of the church, instead of sitting down and addressing our sin, we just continue to carry on as if nothing is wrong, and and because the reality is just too heavy for 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 the modern Christian, maybe, and I'll isolate it to our time specifically. Right, and we have this book set before us. It was written uh, about twenty six hundred years ago about a God our God, 
right? Talking to his people, and it might as well be us as his people. And, and he's very specific in what he says. He says, I'm angry with your temple, right? I'm, I'm angry with your altar. Your worship is upsetting to me. Your services, they don't bring any glory to me, right? Your priests and your prophets, they lie about me, right? He, he says, you have sin that needs to be addressed. And either, either you, 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 you're doing what you know is wrong, right? And that's certainly a sin, if you're living in deliberate wickedness, you know that what you're doing is wrong. Or you're not doing what you know is right. And both are equally damning. He says there's something that is wrong here. You're squandering your splendor. This thing that I've given to you, this, this gift that comes from me and is found only in me, is now lifted and it's cast down. And we can't get it back because it's not our own. Right? And that's a, that's a heavy thing to consider. That in a moment, it can all be gone. Right? That, that everything that we think that we've earned or we deserve or that is in us and we're just good and glorious and mighty saints of the Lord, it be taken away like that. And it's amazing how quickly it could be taken away. The Lord removes his blessing, this, the, the, this spiritual anointing. And we can stand like Samson, thinking that we're just going to stand and do what we always do. Right? We're going to stand and we're going to face the Philistines. But he stands to his feet and he doesn't know that the anointing is gone. Right? Or we're like Peter. And we think, I'm just going to continue walking on water because that's what I know now I can do. But he begins to sink right? because the splendor has been removed, the power to, to overcome this anointing, this unique something. And in an instant, we go from an awesome instrument of glory to a worthless lump of clay. Right? And that's what's set before us today. And often it takes us uh, to go through something like that to realize that we were never much more than that in the first place. That's all we've ever really been, is that lump of clay. Awesome in the hands of a mighty God. Weak and feeble left to ourselves. Right? It's humbling to go through something like that, but it's necessary to go through something like that. And if it weren't for such moments, we would be tempted to claim all of the glory for ourselves and to think that we're just so special and significant. Well, I'm just so, so anointed by my own merit, for my own good. I'm just glorious and then snatched away. And Lamentations chapter 2 is what you're left with when it's snatched away. You're left to yourself as an exposed lump of clay. Rather than, uh, rather than what we once, once were. And, and here's the reality. God spoils us. And to such a degree that we forget that we're being spoiled. It becomes normal. Right? And that becomes our new life. We're so spoiled, we're so blessed, we're so, you know, just God has gone so far above and beyond being good to us that that becomes normal to us and we forget 
that anything special is happening in and around us until it's, it's gone. We need to be constantly aware of how greatly and uniquely blessed we are. And God has a way of reminding us of just that in such moments. Right? It's never more beautifully put than by Peter in his second book, uh, the first chapter, the third verse. And, and if you're quick with your fingers, you can turn there. Second Peter 1, 3 Peter 1.3. Second Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So everything we need, everything for life and godliness, he's given to us. And we love that verse. We cling to that verse. But that verse is a double-edged sword. Right? Because it says everything we need is given to us for life and godliness. Life, this new, this new regenerated life, this born-again life, everything for that life he's equipped you with, he's given to you. And, and now for life and for godliness, everything you need to walk uprightly before your Lord, to, to walk consistently with your Lord, he's given to you. He's given you all of the, the tools. He's adorned you with splendor to be successful. Everything. And, and you look at that and you go, well, glory of glories, praise the Lord. And you're so happy and excited. And, and oh, isn't God good? He's given me everything I need. But in that same verse, we realize that everything... Right, Everything that we need for life and godliness is not in us. Right, If everything that we need for life and godliness, everything we need to be successful is from him, then it's not from us. Which means that I can't do this unless I'm completely and consistently connected to him. And when I'm not, I am in a sad state to be sure. Right, And it's 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 a, a, a dramatic thing to go through and be faced with that reality, to be hurled from heaven to earth. Uh, it's dreadful to consider. There's never a more lonely, isolated, naked feeling than to feel the cold shoulder of the Lord. But that's exactly what Israel is met with here because of their sin. And, and it is where we may find ourselves because of our own sin. And simply uh, because of this, because God will not force anyone to choose him. All right? He, 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 he won't stand between us and our sin. He says if we choose it, he will let us have it. And, and he will leave us to discover uh, what will come of it. Uh, he'll, he'll let us go like the prodigal until we come to ourself and return to us or return to him he'll leave us to our sin and if this is what you want then this is what you can have right and if you want to walk down that road with those people i will let you walk down that road with those people and and if you want to be a christian only by name and if it's enough for you to, to pretend that you have a relationship with me and if you've spurned my splendor and, and if you don't truly desire it, well, then you don't need it. And you can go your own merry way and, and do your own thing. And that's okay. And I'm not going to keep you from your goal. And so he did with Israel. And so he may do with us to let us have our desires. 
he let them go. And I have this vivid memory uh, from my childhood, and it's become a reoccurring dream. You know, not the kind of reoccurring dream that, like, you wake up in a, in a cold sweat, you know, screaming in the fetal position somewhere in the corner of your room. It's, it's not anything, you know, that, that serious. But, it, but it, it's this reoccurring dream that I have that, that scares me uh, every time I have it. And, and to this very day, it, it haunts me. It's this memory from uh, my young life when I was six. Right? First grader, I was a little Michael. <clears throat> and, and we, and we being my mother and my brother, we were at the supermarket, right, down the street from our house. And, and I grew up on 25th Street. It was the supermarket on, or just north of 24th Street on Euclid. You remember that, that old, well, it was an old Lucky's, right? And then uh, Albertsons bought it. And now it's just nothing, right? And it's sad. And it depresses me. But that was such a great you know, little supermarket, and we went down there, and uh, and we were we were at that supermarket. And it was about this time of year, right? It was around Halloween. I remember going through the doors with my with my mother and my brother, and those doors that just magically open, you know, which to a six-year-old is just the mystery of the universe. How that how that happens without me opening that door, it just knows, it just senses my presence, and it just boom, it opens for you, and. And anyways, I, I went through those doors, and, and since it was this time of year, they had these great bins, these vast receptacles of pumpkins, and just filled with hundreds of pumpkins. And, and I remember just being lost in wonder, you know, and just, you know, uh, feeling all these pumpkins and, and playing with them and, and shuffling them around, searching for the perfect pumpkin. And, and I wanted to take all of the pumpkins, but truth be told, I didn't know what to do with any of the pumpkins. And, and what does a six-year-old really need that many pumpkins for? I build like a fort of pumpkins or something. But, but I, remember, I remember grabbing all these pumpkins and, and playing with them. And my mom was prying apart two carts and she had secured one of them and, and she began to walk and she said, you know, we got a lot to do, so come on or I'm going to leave you behind. And, and I did what, uh, what any child would do and what my child will one day do to me. I completely ignored her. And I learned that day why it was a bad idea to ignore my mother um, because she was completely serious. <laughs> she, that was not an idle threat. When she said, come on or I'll leave you behind, uh, she, she left me behind. <laughs> and, and when I was done, you know, being enraptured by pumpkins, I looked up and she was gone. I mean, completely gone. And, and I started to freak out, right? And, and even, even now when I have this dream, at this point in the dream, my heart rate begins to dramatically accelerate. And, and, and I remember being there in front of all these, these pumpkins. And now I didn't care anything about pumpkins. I just wanted to figure out where my family had gone. And I began to flail my arms around and, and look and run back and forth, you know, in front. And, and then, and well, we, she always went straight for the produce first. So I took off in that direction. And I remember running through all the produce. And I'm looking at everything. And I'm like, is she hiding behind lettuce? Because I don't see her anywhere. And so I start to run down the length of that, that supermarket, and, and I'm, I'm you know, looking down every aisle as I run past them, and, and she's not down 
any of them. And, and I'm freaking out and I'm terrified and, and just frantically looking, desperately searching. And, and, and it's at that point that, that I began to cry. And, uh, and, you know, I know you're, you're looking at me and you're thinking, well, you're, you're a wuss. But I was, I was six, right? And, and my, my mommy was gone. She had abandoned me because I was distracted by pumpkins, you know? And, 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 and I, I thought I would never find her. And, and I couldn't find her despite my best efforts to relocate her. And it's at that point in the dream that I always wake up. And I feel uh, just scared and alone. And there's no worse feeling, right? That's a, that's a, that's a sad state to be in, to be sure of, to be separated and to be frightened. And, and I chose pumpkins. And now I realize how foolish that decision was. Why would I choose something so worthless and ignore someone so gracious? But that's exactly what we do every day. That's exactly what we do to God every day. Right? And as we move towards our conclusion, and as I read and reread this text over and over again and, and sought a solution, I, I found this question that constantly came back to me, and it's in verse 13. You can look at Lamentations 2 again. In verse 13, this question is there. It says, Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? Who can do it? That your splendor has been stripped. You've lost this heavenly adornment, this life and godliness, all these things that come from him that are only in him and that are yours as long as you're connected to him. And now he's distant and you're disconnected and you feel lost all over again. And your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? And what is the answer? And what is our answer? And uh, I'll, I'll tell you what we do more often than we want to admit it. And this is where, this is where it's going to get a bit dodgy. Right? And you see, while uh, the, the dream ended, the reality continues. And, and I remember what happened. It's seared into my consciousness, the, the whole uh, you know, pumpkin mishap. Um, that, that as I began to, to cry, my search simultaneously began to deteriorate in its logic. And, and, and I would take a few steps in one direction and then whimper, and then take a few steps in the other direction and, and whimper. And I saw no way out. And so, you know, I shuffled quickly this way, and, and then shuffled that way. And, and, and I'm sure it was, it was a pathetic sight to behold, you know, but, but there was this other mother that was down an aisle, right? And, and she was with her own family and she had mercy on me. And she asked me if she could help me. And uh, through sobs, I got out that I was lost. I was separated from my mommy and I, I didn't know where she was. And this was a very different time, right? This is when you could talk to strangers and they could talk to you. And she, she even reached out and she hugged me, which I don't even know if I would do today, to be honest with you. See a kid crying and, and to reach out and just hug them, you know, it, it brought so much comfort to me 
as that young boy. But, but today, you know, I'd be afraid of some overly sensitive and litigious couple that would look at me and go, what are you doing to my kid? And they'd be like, you know, comforting them because I'm a human. But, you know, but nonetheless, she reached out and she, and she hugged me. And, 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 and it brought so much comfort to me. And I thought, well, this isn't my mother, but this is a mother, right? And she's, she seems so nice and maternal, right? And, and there's so many qualities that at this point, in this moment, I'm desperate for. But it never entered into my head to say, okay, well, you got yourself another kid. So now I'm yours because you're a mother and you found me. So now I'm going to go home with you and I'm going to be, I'm going to be unto you a child and you will be unto me a mother, right? To put it biblically. And, and that never entered into my head, right? Despite the fact that she had common characteristics of the person that I was looking for. And this is a mother, but this is not my mother. Uh, but, but if you'll, you know, accept the illustration when we feel stripped of our splendor and distant and disconnected from our creator, our conclusion is often very similar, right? We think, well, the answer is, you know, I'll, I'll go to another church, right? I'll go to such and such a place. I'll sit under such and such a preacher. And uh, that place is filled with life and vitality, and they have what I'm looking for. They can be unto me another mother, right? And it's in a person, right? It's in a preacher. It's in a congregation. It's in a movement. It's in a, it's in a book. And that's what I need. I need that thing. Once I have that thing, I'll feel better. And we go there expecting uh, rejuvenation, and maybe we get it for a moment, right? And there's this charge. There's this jolt. Well, this is what I need, but, but there's one problem with that, um, and, and it's the problem that you discover at that new church or that, that new relationship or in that new experience uh, that you brought with you into that new thing, the old you. And it's exactly what Sam talked about two weeks ago, right? And Sam, Sam uh, wonderfully put it that new circumstances don't fix old problems. If we go into that thing thinking, well, this is the answer, and I've, I've lost that, but look, I found this, and this is, this will do it, right? This will take care of it. This will meet that need. And, and a problem between you and God isn't fixed by his kids, right? That's, that's the harsh reality of it. And they are like him. They share common characteristics to him, but they are not him. Right? And they're a poor substitute for their father. And this is what we do. We seek to be vicariously cured. And, and so they went to the prophets and they went to the priests. And you saw exactly what the prophets and the priests did for them. They tickled their ears. And they made them feel really good about their sad state. They just continuously told them that, that they're fine. They begin to believe that they were fine. And either you're so deluded that you believe that this is what it feels like to be in a right relationship with God? Or you've been so long outside of a relationship with God that you've forgotten what it's like to have a real relationship with God? Because it's not the same at all. 
right? And fellowship with other on-fire believers is edifying and life-enriching. Fellowship with God is essential and life-giving. And I'll repeat that because it bears repeating. Fellowship with other on-fire believers is edifying and it's life-enriching. It's a good thing. But fellowship with God is essential and it's life-giving. There is no substitute. That's why in verse 19, Jeremiah writes, encouraging his people with these words. He's talked about the prophets. He's talked about the priests. He says, they have nothing for you. This is what you need to do. Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for, listen, it is in him and him alone. That's what you need. There is no substitute. Right? The answer isn't in the prophets that are going to tickle your ears. Right? And so you can stop clinging to all these other strange mothers right? because they're not the one that you need. You need your father. Right? And if you're here uh, this morning right, because uh, you, you were seeking something similar, Right? If you came here this morning because you felt disconnected and lonely and you thought, well, maybe I can come here and I'll feel better. I'll feel right again. I'll feel restored. And maybe I'll go in there and he'll just tickle my ears. And right, that's a delightful ticker, tickle gesture. Tickle, ticka gesture. So, you know, it's like maybe that's what'll happen. But, but that's not what you need. And I would be remiss if I sought to do something like that for you this morning. I should do for you exactly what that woman did for me. And what she did, she saw me crying, she saw me sobbing, she saw me disconnected and dejected, and she took me by the hand and she brought me directly to the front of the store and she told the clerk that this kid's missing his mommy. Right? And then the clerk said, kid, what's your name? And I said, Michael. And she said, what's your mama's name? And I said, Carmen. And she said, give me your, her last name, which I don't know, because how many Carmens do you really meet? You know, let's be honest. And I said, Turner. And she got on the loudspeaker and she said something very similar to, could Carmen Turner come to the front of the store, register three, because your son Michael is up here and he's crying like a little girl, right? <laughs> and she probably didn't say that exactly, but that's the way I felt. <laughs> I felt humiliated. I felt humiliated, but that humiliation was necessary. It was necessary humiliation, right? And I went home, and, and my mom took out the paddle and pulled down my pants, and she wailed on me. But that wailing was necessary. And I was never more happy to be in her presence, Right? And, and the beating and the humiliation hurt. Right? And this, this type of message might hurt. Right? It might leave you, you know, like the prophet, weeping. Right? And you might, but for the first time, be listening. Which is the point of this whole thing after all, isn't it? Because the Spirit is constantly speaking. Right? And, and, and he's saying, listen, the splendor, it's gone. Do you realize that? It's been gone for a long time. 
and you've been going on as if everything is fine, everything's dandy, everything's normal, you're deluding yourself. You're distant. You're disconnected. And, and, and worse, you've been trying to find relief in, in anything and everything but me. Because you're too proud to come to me and to cry out to me. And let me tell you, a little shame was a small price to pay to be reunited with my mother. And, and it's a small price to pay to be reunited this morning with our father. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Lord, I desire to stand at the front and call out to you, Lord, to cry out to you and to say, I'm sick of sacrificing splendor. I'm sick of sacrificing relationship for pumpkins. You know, I'm so easily distracted. I'm so easily torn away from you to the point where I neglect you, completely ignore you. And Lord, you, you don't you don't force me. You say, well, if that's what you want, then go ahead and have it. And Lord, I'm in so deep so often before I realize that you're not there. And I'm standing up like Samson without an anointing. I'm sinking like Peter. Lord, because I've gotten my eyes off of you and on everything else besides you. Lord, let us not seek any other solution but you. Let us stand at the front and humiliate ourselves for you. Cry out to you. Lift our hands to you. Be saved by you. Lord, be restored to this right relationship with you. You offer nothing less. You desire nothing less than our most, than to decorate us beautifully to give us everything that we need for life and godliness. That others would look on and see nothing but splendor, and it would be your splendor. That which is from heaven, that which is unusual and can't be generated by us on earth. I pray, God, that we would seek that this morning, that that would be the cry of our heart. Lord, a little weeping is nothing. A little shame is nothing. Lord, a good cry is what we'll have. And a good cry is what you'll accept. And I praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.